You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Oh, he's ready. Joel Klatt joins us. He is presented, as always, by Audi Flatirons. Joel, good morning. And uh, let's jump right in. A little QB on QB. What did you see that you liked from Teddy Bridgewater? A lot. I think that the, the what was it, the opening drive of the second half was why he's the starter. How many times did we see previous quarterbacks, and this is not a knock against Drew specifically, but previous quarterbacks since Peyton not be able to execute through, uh, what was it, 16-play drive, make some of the small plays necessary in order to keep your team on the field and convert in a day in which the run game wasn't dominant by any stretch and wasn't even really all that good. It was okay, but it wasn't, you know, something that you would consider good. He was still able to manipulate the pocket, find completions, be efficient. I loved it, right? I, I mean, he's a big reason why they're sitting there late in that game and the game is totally out of hand in terms of uh, for the Broncos, which doesn't happen in the NFL. You guys know that. I mean, this is a one-possession league, and Denver's sitting there with a the game totally in hand at the end. So I tell you, I, I, was, I was incredibly impressed, and I thought that, as I kind of suggested, you saw the reason why he is so valuable, and I think that first possession of the second half was a, was a big reason why. Pocket presence, just being cool. Under duress, not making mistakes. How impressed, how impressed or how impressive was Teddy Bridgewater? It was the intangible stuff as I was broadcasting the game, Joel, that I was just like, this is why these are the things that matter that the average fan just doesn't get to see on a day-to-day basis. Well, and in particular for a team that, let's face it, like they, they need everything. Right? They need an identity. They need a leader. They need a calming presence. And you can say, you can make an argument that like, oh, teams take on the identity of their head coach. But I think, I think in the NFL, teams take on the persona of their quarterback more so. And, and his calming veteran efficient influence, I think led everyone to just play better. I think it led the defense to playing better and calming down after the start. And, and, you know, getting their feet underneath them. And everyone's just like, hey, everyone just take a deep breath. We're going to be fine. And why are we going to be fine? Because we understand how to execute. And and everything that you just said is, is absolutely right. This is a big reason. And we talked about it all training camp. And this is, you know, I guess if I was a coach, I would just be like a super safe, like, coach. But to me, the, the, this decision was always a no-brainer. Because you never go with splash at quarterback. You always go with consistency. And I think that consistency leaked into every area of the team, in particular in the way that they just approached the game. Joel, when you have a coach who is being as aggressive as Vic Fangio was on fourth down, yeah. how, how does the team, and I, I, I'm bringing the defense into this as well, how does a team react to its head coach being that aggressive? Well, I think typically players love it. Players always want their coach to be aggressive. Um, I think if it, it's one of the hard parts of being a head coach is that the, the pull 
energy around you is always to make the more aggressive decision. Go for the, the block punt, you know, go, um, uh, try, try a fake, go for it on fourth down. The players all want to pull in that direction. And so I think that when you feed them those little bits, they can gain confidence and, and, in particular, when you're doing it at places like midfield, you know, and I know that the sheet and you got to understand guys like <clears throat> football is, I don't uh, what's the word? I mean, analytics are seeping in to, to the sport and we've seen, I've seen it at the college level. There are coaches that go for it on fourth down all the time, but as soon as you get into plus territory, in particular, when you cross the 50 until about the 35, right from the 50 until you get into field goal range, the analytics would suggest that you should probably go for it on fourth down almost every time, mm-hmm. unless you're like in the fourth and seven range. And so we may see this more in just football in general, even in the NFL. And I don't know if it's necessarily just because, oh, the coach is being really aggressive. Now, having, having said that, there's a few different factors that you're going to make that decision on based in game. And I think, a couple of those would be like, are you trusting your defense? Um, do you like what you're seeing from your offense? You know, if it's all, if it's not going well for you and you're having a hard time everywhere, you're probably going to just like punt the football and, and, and try to play for field position and so on and so forth. But if you, if you feel good about your defensive plan, if you feel good about your matchups, if you feel good about the efficiency of your offense, then you'll, you might press the envelope. And I think that was the case on Sunday for Denver. Uh, Vaughn Miller, I said, uh, during the broadcast, the best thing I can say about Vaughn Miller is he looked like Vaughn Miller, right? Uh, what was yeah. your takeaway from watching Vaughn Miller play on Sunday? It looks fast. Um, maybe it's just like it hasn't been a, it's been a minute <laughs> since we've seen him. But, but Mark, he looked like there was a burst to him. I think that what made him so exceptional, um, is in particular when you're thinking about those, those playoff runs and, and the run to winning the Super Bowl and Super Bowl 50 was his first step was the best first step in all of football. And then you couple that with his athleticism to bend on the edge and get low to the ground. And he became an unblockable force. And I thought for the first time in a long time, he looked like that player. I thought his first step was exceptional. I thought his ability to bend was exceptional. He looked fast. He looked more like a 2017 version of Von Miller than he did a 2019 version of Von Miller. And, and I think that that should make Bronco fans really excited. Now, having said that, can you imagine how much better he could look if you could keep him just a hair more fresh? In, the, in terms of a 17-game season rather than a 16-game season, if you can get Bradley Chubb back on the field. Not only fresh, but you can also scheme to a standpoint where one of those guys is going to get a one-on-one matchup. So, you know, I think getting getting Chubb back on the field is going to be important, and let's hope it was, at least what I've been reading, it was precautionary that, that he wasn't available, and let's hope that that's the case. I love following Joel Clatt on Twitter. You can as well, at Joel Clatt. And you put this out yesterday. If there's I'm, some, There's always some snark, if, Mike, on that Twitter. You, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I, that's why, that's what I, Twitter. That's what I <laughs> tune in for. If it's not there, I'm disappointed. But this was just flat out spewing hot 
takes. Here we go. If I'm USC AD, I would make the following coaches tell me no before moving on. Ryan Day, Brian Kelly, Davo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, and Urban Meyer, which I found interesting. Do you believe that there's some uh, more than just smoke to this idea that Urban Meyer might prefer to leave Jacksonville for USC? Well, listen, I know I know Urban well, and that that tweet was more it was it was more a philosophy of what USC should be thinking rather than those are the guys that I think would would answer and say yes to the call. I, I think that. I don't think Urban's going to go back and coach college football, but we've seen him make crazy decisions before. I didn't think – I mean, I know him well now, and <laughs> I was shocked that he took the Jacksonville job and actually told him so. Um, he called me, and I was like, "I was like, are you crazy? I was like, this, this seems really stupid. And he was like, well, oh, well. So, anyways, oh, I don't think he's going to come back. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. You told Urban Meyer you thought he was crazy to take the Jacksonville job, and all he could respond with was, ah, oh, well, that's it? No, I didn't. Well, I didn't say crazy, Mike. I said stupid. Oh, I, yeah, I said, sorry. I, I, was like, I, was, I was like, are you stupid? What's going on? And he was like, well, well. And then he said, he was like, listen, Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback, and if you're going to go take a swing in the NFL, that's the guy I would want to do it with. And so that's the reason that he's there, and, and I hope it works out for him, and, and we'll see. You know, I mean, I think he's got a steep learning curve because he's such a college-oriented coach, and we've seen him make some missteps so far in Jacksonville. But I, I think Urban's a phenomenal football coach. He is, he is a phenomenal leader of men. It's fourth and one for him on almost every single day, and that sense of urgency permeates uh, the program, uh, in particular in college. And, and he's had a lot of success. So back to the question, though, I think, Mike, the philosophy for USC should be don't limit yourself. You're USC. Like, this is one of the top football jobs in America, either level. So this is a program that should be on the top end, like the bluest of the blue bloods. They should be in the conversation with Alabama and Ohio State every single year. The fact that Clemson from South Carolina comes into Southern California and steals blue-chip five-star quarterbacks is awful. It's an aberration. Like, this, this program has got to swing for the fences. And so, with that philosophy... I would go to those those guys who I think are the top end of college football and force them to tell me no. And it's more of a philosophy thing for Mike Bone, the athletic director. And listen, everyone in Colorado, at least if you've been around sports for any amount of time, knows how I feel about Mike Bone. I'm very skeptical about Mike Bone. He's had a lot of chances to hire coaches, make decisions on head coaches, and he hasn't been very successful at it, in particular at Colorado. He fired Gary Barnett, uh, hired Dan Hawkins. He, he fired Dan Hawkins, hired John Embry. He fired John Embry, hired Mike McIntyre. Like, like these were not successful moves. Uh, he goes to Cincinnati because it was the only job he could get and because he wasn't well thought of throughout the country. And he kind of falls into Luke Fickle because Luke Fickle's an Ohio guy. Luke Fickle's never coached anywhere but Ohio. So, it works, but that doesn't necessarily mean he knows how to hire at USC. So this is a philosophy type of, of 
a moment for USC where they've got to go out there and if you're going to cast a net, then cast the biggest net you can possibly cast. Okay, because it's Mike Bone, naturally Eric Bieniemy's name is coming up as well. Uh, we've all been waiting for Eric Bieniemy to get that opportunity to be an NFL head coach. Might this be the best move for Eric Bieniemy right now? Go coach USC. Potentially. Um, I, I think that, you know, he's from this area. This is where he grew up. This is where Bill McCartney came and recruited him in the L.A. area and, and got him to come to the University of Colorado. I think that Eric, um, unfortunately, has some baggage based on the fact that he has been an incredibly emotional person. He was as a, as a player, and <clears throat> that's followed him into his career at times. And so, you know, to be very blunt about it, whether it's the NFL or college, someone that's hiring Eric Bieniemy to be their head coach is going to have to look past some baggage. That's the reason he hasn't been a head coach yet. Um, having said that, I think he could be incredibly successful. So you need someone at USC that can be that can be both fourth and one sense of urgency and a star. And that was what made Pete Carroll so good is that the practices were the toughest part at USC, and they grinded. I mean, this was a hard-working program. And then at the same time, every star was out at USC, and, and it was a star-studded program. I think that he could be that. I, I think that someone from an NFL tree would understand how to be a good coach at USC versus – some guy who's been successful at a mid-major in college football. Because at USC, you're going to have to deal with a lot of distractions. And, and quite frankly, you have to handle their players at times like professionals. In particular, now moving forward into the NIL conversation. So I think someone with an, an NFL background, and it's interesting, think about it this way. Of the programs that are, are huge, coastal, urban Programs. You think of USC and Miami. What are the coaches? Who are the coaches that have had success at those two programs? They feel similar, private schools, urban, city-oriented. What are the styles of coaches that have had success at those two programs? Well, you think of like John Robinson. You think of Pete Carroll. You think of Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, um, even a guy like Butch Davis. And there are NFL bloodlines going through all of those coaches. And because of that, I, I think that it's not far-fetched to think that the NFL ranks is where USC should maybe go. Like I said, in particular with the, the NIL thing out there on the horizon. So you think of an Eric Bieniemy or a Josh McDaniels or a Joe Brady. Um, and, and then here's a wild one, and I didn't put this on Twitter, but I woke up this morning. And I'm on the 405 right now, by the way. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm in the shower this morning. And, and so I'm so sitting you're in like Jerry now. Jones. You're thinking about things in the shower. Yeah. Like so I'm that. thinking about things in the shower. And I thought, I thought to myself, like last night I was watching TV and the Aflac commercial came on with Nick Saban and Deion Sanders. And then it hits me in the shower and I'm like, Deion Sanders is on an Aflac commercial. Why wouldn't Deion Sanders be a target at USC? Because in college football, remember, it's not necessarily about 
your acumen as no. an X's and O's recruiting. coach as Pretty. much as it is about recruiting, yep. the ability to manage a staff. So if Deion Sanders could hire a really good staff, wouldn't he be perfect at USC? It's a great, that's a great, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, he's doing it right now in the college ranks. He is a guy that, I mean, everybody respects. And, you know, when, when you talk to coach, I'm not, I'm not bagging on Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's a great coach, but Pete Carroll is a, uh, you know, a secondary specialist, if you will. He knows that aspect of the game, but he's not out there. X and O and everybody to death. He's out there motivating, creating competition, doing all those things, being the personality and the star that Pete Carroll is. I mean, that's that's what he relies on. That's what he leans on. So Dion would be. I think Dion would would make a lot of sense. I, I mean, that that's would a great be idea. so splashy. I, I and what they have to do, and I alluded to this earlier, and there's a lot of time on USC, but it's 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 a big deal in college athletics. Is they got to put a fence around Southern California. Uh, real quick, you've seen Minnesota play already uh, against Ohio State, correct? Right? You did that game, right? Minnesota and yes. Ohio State? Yeah. So they play the Buffs this week. Uh, did Do the Buffs get credit for a good loss to Texas A&M, or does that go down as a golden missed opportunity? Both. I think both can be true. Um, and I think that they are, are uniquely suited to match up well with Minnesota because Minnesota is run oriented. And that's one of the things that the buffs do really well is stop the run. Um, I, I really love the way that Colorado played and, and did they miss some, some playmaking ability, you know, at the skill positions and, and did the quarterback make some mistakes? Yes. But at the same time, that's one of the most talented teams in all of college football that they faced and they really should have won the game. And so I, I think giving them a lot of credit where it's due, I think that this program is clearly moving in the right direction. They're doing the things necessary to start winning football games at the top end, namely run the football, stop the run, win the line of scrimmage. And I didn't feel like they were ever like physically dominated on Saturday, and that is a, a great sign. And, and so, listen, you're always disappointed when you lose, and that absolutely was a golden opportunity, but at the same time, you see the glimpses there that should make you uh, a very optimistic for the future of Colorado. All right, last one. I know how much you love in hearing from the 8 a.m. texters, and it, this is actually oh, com- yeah. this is complimentary. Somebody said oh. how much they they loved you and your family in the Cadillac commercial, which <laughs> which which leads to this question: Who does a car commercial better, you for Cadillac or Matthew McConaughey for Buick? This mm. is not well. It's not Buick. It's Lincoln. So oh, don't discourage yeah, Matthew I'm sorry. McConaughey. Yes. Yeah, Lincoln. And it's 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 not even a contest. McConaughey is just like dripping with drama. He's <laughs> he's amazing. And in fact, this year's Cadillac commercial that that I shot, I don't think it's aired yet. But it's like in the McConaughey vein. It's like me trying to do a voiceover and then like driving, <laughs> trying to look cool. No joke. No like you'll see it soon. And I and I'm and I've seen it and I'm like I hope it's it's well received. But I was like, man, this is I feel like you're trying to go compete with Goliath here. You know, I feel like this is about this is like trying to play Alabama. Um. Well, you are great at acting, so you could probably do a little bit. How how would a Joel Klatt Matthew McConaughey car commercial sound? Oh gosh, get a little. All I don't right, even know. A little all right, all right, all right. I, I, I would probably be like, yo. You want to go down and check out the beach? And he'd be like, you know what's best about the beach, son? 
And I'd say, what's that, Dad? And he would say, I keep getting older, but the girls stay the same age. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. I pretty much tuned out of this interview when you said you were thinking about it in the shower, and then I started thinking, the difference between Joel and I, I can wash in the shower in, you know, under two minutes. I'm clean as I need to be, and I'm gone. i got to think that you're 20 <laughs> minutes in the shower, like every Every, like, you just spend a lot of time scrubbing. This is a great question. This is a great question. Right. I think the amount of time you spend in the shower says a lot about yourself. Mm. Listen, if you spend over 10 minutes in the shower, you're narcissistic, and you should think of it like you should probably be checked into a mental institute. So 10 minutes is like, you can't do that. I'm like 9 minutes, 52 seconds. Correct. Right. You're right. just borderline narcissistic. You're more fastidious than you are narcissistic. Mm -hmm. But you border right up against it. Okay. I, I, I am generally under 2 minutes. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Joel. Thanks. But but, oh. but the, the key to the under 2 minutes is that you, you grab that half-eaten chicken wing out of the hallway before you jump in the shower that and i do i don't even bother with the shampoo that's a waste of time borrow soap straight to the top of the head i'm in did you uh what was your reaction when mark <laughs> sent out that tweet that included you on it with it the uh the the tray outside those fries the, were delicious those, by the, the way the, the, and, the, and that lone oh, chicken nugget oh. right there oh i went back to the question you asked me like how much money would it take <laughs> i know in your mind your mind you were thinking like Few hundred dollars to right. eat a chicken wing. Yeah, yeah. There's zero chance, zero chance I would buy even an un, like, a chicken finger in a hotel room in the hallway, minimum uh. five figures. What, what <laughs> would, like, hey, real quick, what would happen? Six. What would happen if you would have seen in our meeting room for $50, Matt Lepsis eat one of Tommy Nalen's no, burgers? No, no, 50 no. bucks. <laughs> I got well, oh, no. Women yes. are the grossest people yes. I've ever no. met in my life. No, don't uh -oh. go there. We gotta go. We gotta Joel, go. you're the best, that's man. The, See that's, ya. That's, that's, at least he didn't perform an aerial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, I can't believe you did that. Yes. I can't believe you did that. That's hey. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. That's just gross. That's just gross. Our thanks to uh, Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. All right, as always, a lot to unpack. We'll do that next. This is Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.